When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Miami Nice. I'm your host, Blake Howard, one half of a partnership who's standing on rooftops, abusing <laughs> FBI agents on flip phones. And uh, and I couldn't do it without my partner in crime, Katie Walsh. Katie. This is the situation we have been dealt with on 1147 <laughs> on a Saturday night. <laughs> and the situation is that yet again, uh, the confessional nature of this, I don't know, I want to say extremely horny campfire that we've created uh, for <laughs> Miami Vice in Miami Nights continues to evolve with just increasingly generous people who are stepping out and seeing that this is truly one of the safest places to come and talk about all of your obsessions about Michael Mann and especially Modern Man. And so, Yet again, I have to tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to read the beautiful email by the award-winning filmmaker, um, who is also an educator. Um, all I'm going to say is the subject line, and then we're going to talk about it. So firstly, the award-winning films I'm mentioning is Inada Mas, Pretty Dead Flowers, Tobacco Burn. When I talk about an educator, I'm talking about Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. And the person I'm talking about who sent me the email with the subject line that read, former Michael Mann assistant on Collateral and Miami Vice and jolted me back to life like I was Frankenstein's monster is our lovely guest today, Justin Lieberman. Man, thank you so much for being a part of Miami Nice. I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm giddy. I'm giddy with excitement. Uh, to talk no, to you're, welcome. You're, you're welcome, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm so glad the email was received and um, <laughs> I can add some some tinder to this Michael Mann fire that you've created <laughs> over here. Um, there's a lot of us out here. There's a lot of tinder out here. And, and <laughs> see the thing that you created, we could th- you could throw it on and, and get it ablaze. So no, thank you, man. It's, it's great to be here. Katie I Cole, think we well. need to um, just, you know, uh, clarify that it's an extremely horny campfire. That's what Blake yes, said. Yeah. <laughs> what campfire isn't extremely horny? Let's be I'm getting a tattoo of that phrase. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's... Welcome, Justin, to Justin, our campfire. So cool. Look, um, I mean, you. Justin, you, you've reached out. It's so awesome to talk to you. Um, I think we're going to get to Miami Vice, and I feel like that that's so great. But 
I mean, it's it's really awesome to see. And I think this is something that Katie knows about. Obviously, Katie had time as like a runner and things like that. But there's like a almost like a a life experience thing as a filmmaker, sometimes an educator, depending on things. Like you start in the trenches, runners, yeah. being an assistant, doing these things. So it's awesome to hear your story. So I'd love to hear a little bit about it. But the I guess what is happening now with Miami Nice is it's becoming this modern man adjacent movie. You know, there's some lunatics who want to talk to us about Blackout. We're not doing that. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and except for Bill Gerbiri. We'll let Bill go because he's like the greatest <laughs> in the world. But like uh, collat- the collateral Miami Vice time, especially because of how, I don't know, so indicative of that pre global financial crisis filmmaking mode and how things were done um, is so deeply fascinating your incredible email um, really talked about like the mechanism of ma- that making that movie how intimately you're involved in collateral and then obviously onto Miami Vice which we're so extremely familiar with um, and I would just love to hear the story how did how did firstly like where did your interest start in movies how did this connection happen with Michael Mann and then let's Let's deep dive. Let's get you in the in our in our in our confessional campfire here and, and talk about everything and all of your wonderful experiences on uh, on collateral at Miami Vice. Yeah, right on, man. So it's it is a, a pretty wild story. I'm very very fortunate. Um, I you know as any time I've recounted it, people look at me with their kind of mouths wide open, and, and I could just say like I'm just I'm very grateful and appreciative of the experience. So I grew up uh, I grew up on the East Coast, Northeast. Um, I was always obsessed with movies. I was the weird kid at eight years old that wanted to be a director. And I, oh, I love it. knew film, I mean, just like a true film nut. My room was plastered with movies. I knew movie, I just, I, I was kind of a savant, if you will, of like very young. Uh, I'm in my early 40s. I grew up in the 80s and 90s and I just absorbed everything. Um, I knew of Miami Vice, the series obviously at a young age, but for me it was really Last Mohicans that just blew me away and, you know, kind of wrote Michael Mann's name down on my notebook. And, and then anytime he had a movie come out, I would I would go and The Insider blew me away. I was in college during The Insider. And then Ali, which is my personal favorite film of his, um, I'm not sure what, I, I, I may have mistaken if Ali came out first or The Insider, but regardless, those two films back to back off of Heat and Last Mohegans, what he did with Insider and Ali just blew me away. Side note, Michael um, told me that The Insider was the hardest film he ever made because it was only people sitting around talking. Mm. And how is he going to make that compelling for, you know, two hours and 20 minutes, right? He didn't have any of the the, the dynamic things to work with. It was just people sitting around talking. So that was just a little side note. So, you have Al Pacino story. with a Hessian sack on his head and you have him walking out into the ocean. You have the walls come alive. That's how- Unbelievable. I mean, Unbelievable. Like, yeah, movie, I mean, for a movie where people are sitting down, it's not like Clerks, no offense to the, you know, the great Kevin Smith, <laughs> course, but like yeah. the camera isn't locked off in a singular position. No. Like, I mean, like that, it's a prisoner. Al Pacino's the prisoner. That movie, I think in a way, is maybe his greatest film because it just shows you what the power of direction can do and and what you could do with with the camera. So long story short, I went to undergrad. I was an athlete. I was a baseball player. I made short films, but I, my parents are not in Hollywood. Like, you know, I had no connections to Hollywood. What I'm about to tell you is hundred percent true. I had graduated college in May. 
I did a cross country trip with a buddy, like a lot of college grads do. Went out to LA for a while, loved it. Came back to the East Coast. I started waiting tables and I said, I have to get to LA. How am I gonna make this happen? I was watching an episode of Robbery Homicide Division, Michael Mann's incredible, although short-lived show on CBS starring Tom Sizemore. Um, which, which the listeners of this show is now only exclusively available in the world on YouTube. Yes. But go and find it. It's an unbelievable. And you'll see so much of collateral in Robbery Homicide Division, uh, which is a very cool kind of Easter eggy type thing. The two titles kind of work really cool together. Um, Okay, I'm watching Robbery Homicide Division. I think it was on Friday nights and I watched it all the way through the end credits and I saw a logo at the end for Forward Pass. Yes. The next week I called 411, which in America back in the early 2000s was information where you looked up phone numbers. This is kind of, this wasn't pre-internet but I didn't have internet in my house. I didn't, you know, we were not that kind of a family. I called 411 for forward pass. I got the phone number. I said, yeah, for the 99 cents extra charge, connect me. And they connected me to forward pass. And I talked to a woman in Catherine Matlock, who at the time was Michael's like office manager at forward pass. And I basically was like, hey, I just graduated college a few months ago. I live in Connecticut. I love Michael Mann. I want to work for him for free. Like, what can I do? And she said, if you're crazy enough to drive out here and work for free, I won't say no. I went into my restaurant that night and I gave my notice and I left. That was a Monday and I left that Friday. And I drove out to L.A. I called a buddy. I was like, hey, you want to drive out to L.A. with me? He said, sure. I drove out to L.A. I had a friend that lived in L.A. that I met on that cross country trip that I talked before. I called her up. I said, hey, do you mind if I stay on your couch for a few weeks? She said, yeah, no problem. I knocked on the door, forward pass. I went in, Catherine Matlock's like, excuse me, who were, again, this isn't, I didn't have a cell phone. I'm not like emailing her throughout the week, texting her. She said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Justin. I spoke to you last week on the phone. Her face went white. And she's like, I can't believe this. I can't believe you're here. And I was like, you know, I had like hemp necklaces. I was like a Northeast kind of like, jam band baseball player like hippie kind of looking dude um and she just was like i mean justin you're you're just describing like everybody wants some version of yourself right now and i'm all about it i'm all about it yeah not yeah not on yeah not not on truth so she's like i don't know what to do with you but i can't send you home (laughs) and i was like no please don't do that you're like a stray puppy (laughs) i swear i mean truly and she was awesome Michael, who I consider to be, you know, this po- a genius and all this stuff, he's not the warmest man. <laughs> so I wasn't getting much nurturing from <laughs> the institution of Forward Pass. Yeah. So Catherine kind of set up a desk for me in the back away from everybody and said, just stay here. And I stayed there for six months and did odds and ends. I I made bad coffee for Michael in which he brought me over to the coffee machine one day and showed me how to make coffee. And he looked at me and he said, it's just chemistry and walked away. (laughs) We've Uh, heard some tales about how Michael takes his coffee, which is like jet fuel. (laughs) Jet fuel with two cups. So 
he has two, it's two, it's a cup inside of another cup that I'll never forget. Um, and I just I absorbed everything, man. I mean, again, to my background of just being obsessed with films, I was very aware of how fortunate and how incredible of an opportunity this is. I made student films in undergrad, but they were undergrad student films. But I wanted to be a director, and to me, this was the way to do it. And you know, the first phone call I ever took at Forward Pass was Mel Gibson. The first person that walked through the door at Forward Pass when I was there was Harrison Ford. Because at the time when I arrived, Michael was prepping Worcester Cold Storage, which has kind of became a Hollywood kind of famous folklore of a property. I don't know if you guys know about this at all, but Danny Boyle was attached for a while. It's and it took down, place down in an area where can, Yeah, can you, can you explain it to our listeners? It's something that... Worth a Reddit slash Wikipedia Google oh, yeah. like rabbit hole. It's this. Yeah, really and I may be getting some of this, some of the facts wrong, but it happened, you know, 30 minutes from where I'm standing right now in the Northeast in Worcester, Massachusetts. Basically, there was a cold storage facility in the 90s that um, it was abandoned and it kind of, it was, you know, der- junkies went there and some homeless people went there and it was a place that people would go and break into and kind of live and and squat. And I believe the story is two junkies were firing up heroin and somehow started a fire. They escaped, but then the Worcester, which is a kind of a working class industrial city here in Massachusetts, their fire department, you know, went to the the fire to put it out. And I, I don't know how many, if it was like nine or 11 or 13, but a large number of Worcester firefighters died oh in that wow. Worcester cold storage fire. So when I arrived, Michael was prepping that film. So it was gonna be like um, similar, I forget the name of the movie, but that came out about the uh, the forest firefighters a few years ago. Oh um, yeah, I love Josh that movie. Brolin, um, um, but the, the um, Joseph Kaczynski movie. Michael was going to make that, so the cast was going to be like... Only the Brave. Only the Brave. Only the Brave. Yeah. Horrible title. Great movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Completely forgettable title. I know. Totally, yeah, totally. Um, so the movie was going to have, I mean, at the time, Redford, these are the names that oh either came in or that yeah. Michael was talking to. Redford, Harrison Ford, Mark Wahlberg, um, Damian Lewis who had just come off of Band of Brothers, but it was gonna be like a big muscular cast of these men, real heroic story. Um, and so Michael, we, we were prepping that actively. He was actually gonna shoot HD. We did some like camera tests with fire, live fire. He wanted to figure out how to shoot inside the flames because like pure Michael madness, it's amazing. <laughs> um, inside the horny flames. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, this guy, it's just unbelievable. So we were all good on that. Like that was the project that we were going on. And what was explained to me was once we are greenlit, I will be then hired for pay. So keep in mind, I'm working for free for this first six months. I am supporting myself by being the, this is a whole other podcast, but I was the official scorekeeper for West Los Angeles Little League. Wow. <laughs> so at Justin, the end of my shift- we don't shift have set, enough show for, for <laughs> one or two episodes. Oh, this man. might have to be a branch of the I mean, series. You could, I, I, won't go I won't go through the list, but you can imagine the celebrities, kids that were in the Little oh, League in West LA. Justin. 
Yeah. So I would do my games after my shift with Michael. They would feed me like free hamburgers and hot dogs. And I'd work on Saturdays and I'd like get by on like, I don't know, 280 bucks a week, you know, for six months and just, just grind it. But, you know, I didn't know any other way. And I knew I was so lucky to be in, in Michael's orbit. So long story short, one weekend, Michael and his wife, Summer, went away to Jackson Hole, Wyoming for vacation. And I have no idea what happened on this lost weekend. But when he got back on that Monday, we had an in, internal memo that said, we are no longer working on Worcester Cold Storage. We are going into pre-production on a DreamWorks property called Collateral. And just like that, the entire mechanism of the office, which wasn't very big, there was probably six people that worked at Forward Pass full time. But just like that, the entire office pivoted and we started prep on, um, on Collateral. Um, we all got the script and at the time, Russell Crowe and Adam Sandler were attached to Star. Um, well, Adam Sandler? That. Adam Sandler and Jamie's role. That's who the project was originally uh, for, I'd set up I'd, for. I'd always, heard, I'd always heard Russell because Stuart Beatty, obviously an Australian, and Russell yeah. Crowe, you know, a New Zealand. Yeah, Russell was going to be Vincent. Adopted, and, Austra and, adopted Australians. Yeah. So I'd always heard that it was the yeah. Russell Crowe-Stuart Beatty connection was like, oh, this is a way to get it greenlit yeah. and let's, you know, this is a way that it gets attention of Michael because Russell's interested. Mm -hmm. Wow. So this is right Adam after. Adam Sandler would have been amazing. Oh it would have been great. This was right after Sandler did Rain On Me with Paul Haggis. Mm. Um, he did uh, Punch Drunk Love. Like it was right around that time where he started yeah. doing a little more serious More stuff. serious stuff, yeah. So I love that. Yeah. He totally yeah. I absolutely love Adam Sandler. I have a very amazing story about Adam Sandler right now <laughs> that I'm going to tell you. When he came to visit so my <laughs> michael is like a shark he's sleek he's sharp looking like he's the kind of guy that made me he didn't make me but i knew enough to cut off my hemp necklaces when i started working for michael right like um not that i'm putting on a money suit but i'm just thinking about my dress <laughs> you're cutting my off the you're taking one step to the yes, armani exactly. suit which is cutting yeah. off the hemp necklaces we've all got to cut off our hemp necklaces <laughs> if we want to imagine ourselves in an armani suit so and i say this with love and by all means absolutely no disrespect to adam because i think the fact that he dresses a little bit schlubby is part of his understanding Appeal. We, we understand that yeah, yeah. so it's a it's a Sandman chic like that's yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. got completely ridiculously oversized basketball shorts that seem <laughs> yeah. like that they they would fit Shaq but he's wearing so, them. I have a whole theory that Adam Sandler is the most successful filmmaker of all time, considering he makes agree a ton of money, he makes yeah. any movie he wants, and he gets yeah. to wear. The and most has, comfortable clothes and hang with his friends in exotic locations. Honestly, yep. Justin, that's my dream is that eventually this <laughs> oh. podcast becomes so huge that all I can do is just pay all my favorite people to talk about everything I want them to talk about forever. That's basically Adam Sandler, but it, that's the right. Adam Sandler aspiration. He gets all his 100%. mates. He makes movies that are completely silly. He keeps all of them in work. They go to locations like Hawaii like three times in a row. It's like, oh, let's come out here for six months. And yeah, it's the coolest life here. He's, he's as successful as it gets. Totally. So on this day was the day that Adam was going to come in and meet Michael and talk about the script. I do not think they met before, but this was the, the kind of the official meeting that Adam was coming into um, Forward Pass. He had just gotten back from Hawaii. Hmm. Adam Sandler walks into Forward Pass with 
bright, bright yellow sweatpants, a bright red Fire and Duran Nike sweatshirt, hoodie sweatshirt, and a sunburn like I've never seen before. <laughs> Couldn't it be nicer. It was the nicest guy. It was so cool, so understated, like really awesome. You know, the for the 10 minutes I interacted with him in the wait, you know, in the office before he we went in to see Michael. Uh, he was just the best. But I swear, as he walked through that door, I said, no way. <laughs> no way that this is going to happen with, with him. There's no way. So, it, so soon after that, we got the memo saying, like, we need to cast for Max. Um, I believe at this point, they had already set Tom for Vincent. So what was really cool for me, which outside of the Worcester cold storage experience, we saw everybody for Max. Adrian Brody just won the Academy Award for the piano. Chris Cooper just won for an adaptation. Wow. Uh, you know who was considered for a minute was around, and I was actually his driver for a week, was um, Sasha Baron Cohen oh. for Max. That's, um, that's fascinating. Really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, that's a, this I, is a, I love the older. Like, I was like, oh, Chris Cooper. That's a Right. I know. I mean, that would, it, yeah. Bro Bro um, Brody, Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman. And this is, this is kind of not cinematically. I, I'm glad you didn't go in this direction, but this was definitely discussed. And he came in for a meeting was uh, Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> oh, wow. And Johnny, he, 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 he found a cab driver to shadow for a week in preparation for his meeting. He was very excited. He was super cool too. You know, he, I got to kind of, you know, his background, you know, I always knew him from Jackass, obviously, but like he was an actor. Yeah. He was yeah. an actor that just ended up doing crazy shit, but he was mm -hmm. an actor at first. And yeah, he was yeah, really yeah. excited about like potentially getting back to that. So and Michael that was really cool. There would have been a moment where Michael's like, and I can flip this car with this guy. <laughs> yeah. like, I can I can throw this guy in a tumble in the car, anchor a camera, and it's him in the car. And we can do it yes. 25 times, yes. and it will be one of the most revolutionary shots in any I guarantee movie. you he was thinking about that. I yeah. guarantee you. <laughs> um, you know who was a cool casting? Uh, so Francine Maisler was a casting director who was awesome. She's a legend, obviously, in the industry still to this day. Um, but she brought in for... Um, uh, um, Barry Shabaka Henley's role, the jazz man, uh, Daniel, uh, Tom Waits. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, that's another. That's yeah. another one that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I biggest yeah. love to Barry Shabaka Henley though for just honestly, he he's just I mean, so sweet. He's the best. He's, he's the so best. Yeah, he's, he's so sweet. He, he, he that, that he make he breaks your heart into a thousand pieces in that scene because of his sweetness and his charm. And then when Vincent says that that line to him oh, and yeah. his face just drops. That, yeah. That amazing, like down the barrel yeah. shot moves <laughs> around behind Tom. Yeah. It's yeah, great. yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Barry, that's... He, he was around a lot. He was friends with Michael and he'd, he'd hang out in our office a lot. You know, Michael, if you're, if you're in his orbit, if you're his friend, he, he's really loving and he, 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 he's, you know, he, he's very open to you. So like John Voigt hung around our office a lot. There were some, you know, some regular people that would just come, and hang around and it was cool for me to see kind of that side of michael because you know i spent the better part of like three and a half years with this guy and like maybe we had one or two like 
legit personal conversations. And it was in transit from point A to point B, whether I was driving him or walking with him somewhere. Um, but I just knew I didn't, I knew not to expect that, that kind of like nurturing coach quality from him. And honestly, maybe because I was an athlete and I had some asshole coaches, like I was okay with, that. you know, I was like, he's giving me so much just by letting me absorb and watch that I didn't need the, the, the pat on the back, you know. Justin, there's something that reminds me so much about your East Coast, you know, big strapping guy, baseball player look that you have. It's like there's some amazing behind the scene photographs in all of um, in all of Manhunter, where it's like the small, like diminutive Michael Mann around all these big Chicago cops, yeah. like Dennis Farina and those things, like slapping him on the back, having a good time, busting balls. And I'm like, you look like one of those guys, like throw a mustache <laughs> on you, man. And you could just slide straight into one of those photos. And you're there. Yeah. So I imagine like... There, you know, understanding that sport element, it just feels like you could have an affinity. You're an East Coaster. Like he's, you know, I mean. Yeah, there was, there was that vibe around something. the office. The couple, you know, so Michael had all total, I would say probably about four or five assistants, you know, and I was on that totem pole. He had his executive assistant, her, her name was Monica at the time, who handled all of his like high level appointments and, and accounts and stuff like that. Then he had Marshall Taylor, who, uh, Marshall Tyler, who is an awesome guy. He is this like unbelievably charismatic. He actually appears in Ali, but he is this like unbelievably charismatic African-American guy from Chicago, I think. But just, he he could have been a star, man. He was so funny. He used to call me T-Lake for Justin Timberlake. Like, <laughs> he was just the best. And he, would, he was Michael's primary driver. Um, and he was a big dude too. He was, you know, good six one, six two. Then there was myself, and then another guy, Chris Hample, who was more like he kind of really held on to the binders, like Michael's shot list and stuff, really closely. And then David Silverton, who is still a dear friend of mine. Me and David were kind of at the same level, kind of that like PA runner, run to the house, run here, do do a little bit of everything. Where the other three had like specialties, David and I had. Um, we did everything. Oh. Um, so yeah, so basically, so then, so then I, you know, during the pre-production of, of my, of a collateral, my kind of area of focus was music. I helped tremendously with music research for Michael and um, specifically for the jazz stuff, but um, also bringing in like through a other connection, I became friendly with Cody Chestnut, who was on the roots, um, the Seed 2.0 uh, track. And I like brought that track in to Michael and he loved it. He ended up putting that in the movie. And um, yeah, like I said, I did a lot of jazz research for him. Um, and then I started, and this is actually the thing that I've probably brought with me the most throughout my career is I started doing the research for Michael for backstory and character. Oh, wow. So for example, for Vincent, Tom Cruise's character, um, and in the DVD special features of collateral, I think that he actually like holds up the binder, but that was the binder I created where I like did all this research on like what was happening in Geary, Indiana in 1974. Like what factory specifically, you know, what now <laughs> defunct factory does his dad work at and what bar did he go to and what you know, parish, what church did Vincent have to go to because his mother died young and his father was drunk all the time. So where did he go to get his nurturing? It's like unbelievably wow. intricate things. Um, 
where does Tom, where does Vincent live? He lives in Kowloon Bay off of Hong Kong. And he lives there because he could live anonymously. And that's where he gets his suits made. And, you know, I know you know this from, but like his look, it, it's supposed to look like a, a wolf, like gray, yeah. shirt, gray hair, gray shirt, white or gray, white shirt, gray suit, um, completely nondescript. So also for me as a young filmmaker, I'm seeing the level of specificity that he was applying to just one character. And I, I didn't know any better. So I was like, oh, that's the way you do it. So I kind of <laughs> absorbed this like hyper specific and analytical approach to directing because that was the only thing I ever saw. So in a way, like it informed me as from a filmmaking perspective, just that was the way to do it. And I didn't know any other way. Justin, can we rewind for a second? Yeah. Did you introduce Michael to Audio's life? No, that I did not. That I did not. I, I was going to, I was going to, I didn't want to interrupt you. I wanted to say congrats on the, like that song absolutely yeah. rips. That's a great yeah, yeah, track. Yeah. And yeah. so it's so, so cool. And yeah, that was the, cool because from Audio Slave, Tom Morello and Rick Rubin were around the office quite a bit. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. Which is awesome. You know, just from a film, uh, music fan, it's like, mm -hmm. I was a huge Rage Against Machines fan. So that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise was the best, just personally. He was so freaking cool. He was just like, really, he was nice. He was awesome. Now there was a total machine surrounding him. Yeah. But one-on-one, -on -one, he was awesome. He was always with very intense direct eye contact, but always sincere, always nice. Very I've heard he's yeah. awesome. I've heard he's like right. just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like and, over the years, whenever I hear anybody like talk shit about it, I get like mad. I'm like, motherfucker, <laughs> he's like a nice dude. Like, <laughs> you don't know, he's a great guy. Like, I don't know, you know? I, yeah. I, you know, I'm so happy, you know, selfishly about this great collaboration he seems to have with like Chris McQuarrie at the moment. They're making the movies they want to make. They, yes. they have this similar taste palette and they're making some rippers and we're just experiencing them humbly as an audience going what kind of lunacy is tom cruise going to jeopardize his life with to entertain me and i am he's becoming johnny knoxville it's, it, he is it's, yeah, so, yeah. it's so wonderful i but say I, but, but i yeah. fantasize sorry, sorry I, I fantasize about knowing the level of intensity of your former employer uh, mr michael mann and tom cruise i imagine that the what a what a pair what a pair yeah. of guys who would just like would have relished the living daylights out of like the obsession another collab yeah to collaborate with one another i just i think about them working together and i'm like oh my god that would just have been amazing well they were so hyped i mean that energy was palpable like they were hyped like yeah. you went in the i mean first of all michael was there before anybody else then he left after anybody else i mean he worked more than anybody I've ever known. It was it was really unbelievable. Um, but they were it was just hype. Like they were just excited. It was it was. First of all, when you think of Tom Cruise, make a list of the twenty best directors of the last thirty years. He's worked <laughs> with eighteen of them. I've literally done this. I actually went through Tom Cruise's IMDb. I wrote down every director that he's worked with. It's legends it's, only. Yes, yeah. I mean it's un, it's unbelievable. It's yeah, like, Couple, I like Spielberg, you know, uh, Kubrick, Kubrick, Kubrick fucking Curtis Hansen. <laughs> like Hansen. people going back to like, like oh, yeah. he's worked Op with Coppola. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. So this was just after um, Legends the Only. Last That's Samurai. So <laughs> 
Don Rickles. So this was after the last Samurai. So he was still rocking that like really cool look he had with the, <laughs> the long, long hair, hair. the long beard, hair, and it was just like so awesome. It was just so awesome. And they're but like, put on this wig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The wig was always weird to me. Still a little weird. It's still a little weird. It looks like a wig to me, which I know. I rewatched Collateral and like I was like, I can see the wig. Yeah. <laughs> like it was in the back in a way. Yeah. yeah. It was something that I always. I but always... one thing it does is it kind of changes his face. Because that's it's a weird thing. Kristen McQuarrie was talking about the Tom Cruise haircut, and he was talking mm. about like that. The only reason that you change the hair is because depending on the build, sometimes he's really bulky, you know, some, and sometimes he's really lean. And the the leaner he is, it feels like he can get away with the beautiful magnolia hair. And then the bulkier yeah. he is, it's more like military. I'm kind of sporting yeah. his, you know, uh, uh, Mission Impossible one haircut right now um, in the Australian summer. Um, so like, I, I kind of get that, but I, I think it changes his profile. It does something strange. It definitely, like, it it does, definitely does. It, yeah. It, yeah. It takes away the, you know, I don't know what it is. I can't describe it properly. I can't articulate it, but just there's something about the profile and something about the way that it blooms out and makes his head more a different shape. It like, well, this um, is exactly what Michael was going for. You trying to describe Tom Cruise. Look, it's impossible. <laughs> <Right? laughs> yeah. Yes. He's anonymous. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Um, um so, so were you on set for the film? I mean, you were on yeah, set for so the filming. Set, yeah, so Collateral was, you know, everything from that prep stuff that is on YouTube and, and legendary of like Tom dressing up as a UPS driver and going into Central Market in, in LA and putting a post-it note on somebody's back. Do you guys know about this story? Katie, do you know about this story? I know no. about it. Please, okay, recount it for people who don't know about it because it's the coolest story of all time. So at the center of of all of Michael's films from like a technical advisor standpoint are two men mick gould yes Mick daniel um chick daniel is, is still a dear friend of mine great actor in his own right um they're chick daniel is like vietnam captain platoon captain lapd swat team like there in the riots in the 90s like he's a, a legendary lapd retired lapd figure who now works in hollywood and mick gould is like retired british British SAS. Service. Yeah. Both awesome guys. So to obviously Vincent's a hitman, anonymity and being able to disappear is a big part of his uh, trade craft. There was a challenge to how can Tom Cruise, one of the most famous recognizable faces in the world, be anonymous. So they staged this exercise where Tom dressed up as a UPS driver in the Browns and delivered a package to Central Market in Los Angeles. And he had to put a post-it note on somebody's back, which indicated like a hit, like oh an assassin, without them knowing it. And to Tom's like genius and his craziness is he actually <laughs> sat down and had coffee with somebody, had an entire conversation. <laughs> they had no idea it was Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom Cruise. I love him so much. I love him. I'm sorry. I I just love him so much. I also love how game he is. Like you think about, talk about game, recognize game. Like I love how game he is. He's like, he's the biggest movie star in the world. And, and here's Mick Gould, Chick Daniel and Michael Mann talking about like, how do we, how do we set up this fake assassination for you? And he's like, yeah, I'm down. I'm I'm totally down. 
Yeah, and, and not, not unsimilar to what uh, um, Colin went through with Miami Vice, where he sat in what he thought was a real drug deal. Inter- inter- interrogation. Yeah. And ripped yeah. open his shirt. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, so being on set for Collateral was incredible. You know, I, I again, still friends with a lot of crew members. And in fact, the first film I directed after Collateral, a film called Dean Mas was comprised of probably 80% of cast and crew I had met on Collateral. Um, so that's kind of, again, so like cool. the people that work in man's world, there is a fraternity and this kind of camaraderie that's shared because it's such an intense experience that we're kind of like forever friends and we, we know what we went through. No less Collateral was brutal. I mean, it was all night shoots, you know, and as a PA, you know, I'd arrive at set at 3 p.m. and I wouldn't leave set till like 11 a.m. Oh my God. Uh, very often sleeping in my car or, you know, what I would do, I kind of figured out like, oh, if I drive to the next location and just get there early and sleep, I'll get more sleep than right. having to like deal with LA traffic. Oh my God. And yeah. It was, um, it was, it was a trip, but it was, um, it was the best. I mean, it was just so fun and so cool. And um, yeah. That's a young person's game. Definitely. Like yeah. the, and, and, you know, you have to be like oh, 24 yeah. to be able to do that. <laughs> It was and, tough. Yeah, it was definitely tough. And I was just going to say also, like, that is the one, uh, that's the one leveling thing that happens where you're like, oh, I love movies that shot in LA and I love this and I love that. And it's like, yeah, but if you do shoot at night and you've got to get to another location or you got to go back to the same location, like traffic is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's something that is 100%. truly something that to contend with. So if you're not anchored in the one location, like, you're, you're, you're really stuck. Well, in shooting at night too, you're kind of, you're still dealing with rush hour traffic, just opposite. You're going into work and whenever is leaving and then vice versa. So right. it was, I mean, not, not to speak of LA traffic in general, but yeah, it was great. I mean, I also, you know, I was new to LA, so I got to see LA like nobody else saw it. You know, I got, I mean, years later, I would like bring friends back to some of these like taquerias and they'd be like, how the hell did you find this place? I was like, oh, dude, we shot collateral right over here. Like, this is where we ate for our scout meal or whatever. Right. Um, you know, we, I'd go to like El Rodeo, you know, where, where the Javier Bardem scene is. Yeah, I'd bring a date to El Rodeo and she's just like, I want to go this? there. Oh. I want to oh. go to El Rodeo so bad. It's I'm amazing. dying to go, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and, and again, the film I made, Inada Mas, it's a Spanish-speaking, Spanish-language film, and a lot of the Latino and Mexican-American filmmakers from Collateral were in it. So that kind of ingratiated me even more in that community, and it was just so colorful and so vibrant that it made sense that Michael wanted to kind of explore that world visually. Um, in the original script, I believe it was like a Russian mob, because the original yeah, so, script also took place in New York City. Okay, so Katie. Uh, I, I'm going to just, while we're chatting, try and forward you uh, Justin's latest email that he sent, um, our, our our team email, because there's actually, there's notes uh, from Michael Mann's original script notes to Walter Parks about what to change. And one of the fantastic things is exactly as that, like one of the notes is, dump the Russians, you know, they're boring and overdone, which I completely agree with. And he starts to talk about, you know, the different, uh, the, you know, the different, uh, Amado, uh, Calido Fuentes, you know, or, or Miguel Angelo, Felix Galato, uh, cartels, like these figures going, okay, we want them to be like this. We don't want it to be Russian. Um, but there's one thing that I noticed in these notes, um, actually two things. 
he writes in his notes, get, get AB meth labs in. Yes. AB for Aryan Brotherhood. And oh. I'm like, and I'm like, he oh, so he was already thinking about it, yeah. these things, these ideas. Yeah. I cannot like, read this handwriting. It's no, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and that, yeah, I mean, that was probably one of my biggest like occupational hazards. It's like, lear- <laughs> that, like working with Michael's handwriting. Cause you know, he wasn't the type of boss that you could ask for clarity and be like, what, what is this? You know, you had to, you had to figure it out. You know um, what? I, I feel a deep kinship because my handwriting is garbage. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? If it works for Michael Mann. Yeah. Um, now that, so in this, in this bullet points, it says get AB meth labs in. So he's clearly thinking about airing brotherhood meth labs for, you know, my advice or an idea. Now, what is RHD stand for, Justin? Do you know what RHD stands for in this document? Yeah, robbery homicide division. Oh, just as as to out RHD RHD. Great. Um, so preempt Bad Boys Three. Preempt Bad Boys Three. Preempt what they're going to do with Bad Boys Three. Take the best. Now, cra- Crazy Dog was another script, um, actually written by Henry Bean, who actually ended up becoming my professor in graduate school. So after my time with Michael, I went back to graduate uh, film school in New York, and I studied with Henry Bean. And I had known him previously because he was a screenwriter, and he wrote a script called Crazy Dog that Michael was entertaining. And Crazy Dog was. Um, was kind of a, a kind of a, a, a subverted version of a bad boys three. It was like these two LAPD cops that just were crazy dog. They were, it was just gnarly. Cops. <laughs> wow. But that was another property that he was circling at that time. This is so um, cool. It's it's so yeah. Like I think all those ideas are so great straight off the bat, but the first one is, I mean, I don't know what it, <laughs> get AB meth labs in. And I know what that means straight away. Yeah. I don't know if that means yeah. a smart thing or a good thing. So He's always been obsessed with that. I mean, even back, you know, obviously Jericho Mile, uh, Aaron yeah. Brother, who was a huge part of that. And I think he, he as a as as a Jewish, proud Jewish American man growing up in Chicago, I mean, at that time period post-war, I think Nazis, I mean, it's not a stretch, but I think to him, Nazis is just pure evil. Yeah. You know, the scariest that, thing you can scary, think of. Yeah, yeah, it's just pure evil. And, and I think a, a, an ugliness that... I think he does such a great job of in Miami Vice by kind of covering that ugliness with these suits. You know, the, the, the Nazis in Miami Vice, in a way, what makes them so much scarier is that they're sharp, sharp looking. They're dressing like, you know, driving white Escalades. You know, they're not kind of like ripped denim and ripped flannel shirts. They're like suits and Escalades. And, and that to me is like a really heightened way to just like, really deliver how evil these guys are and that they're interconnected with the other cartels and that they're sort of slick businessmen and like kind of camouflaged in a way yeah and i I think in miami vice what i love is is when you see them interacting with in business with either yarrow or in the beginning with nicholas not nicholas uh uh, dimitri but whatever the the guy that yeah yeah you know, they're in their suits and their dress, but any time that the ABs are by themselves, whether they're in John Hawks's home or in the trailer, their shirts are off and their yeah, tattoos are, their tattoos are so showing. There's this really cool thing of like, they know when to cover up the 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply tattoos and then when they're kind of getting to the most primal violence they they reveal them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. you know cool. they're, they're uh i think that that's still one of the kind of revelatory things of jericho mile is how uh how much they brand themselves to be isolationist but then you get the population of the prison that requires an ecosystem of people working together so you do have these like you know these people who are purporting to be like nazis and they are and they're like, totally. oh, okay, I've got to work with, I've got to work with the other ethnic communities here in some way, shape or form. And you're like, this doesn't feel right. Like it feels contradictory completely because you've got this big swastika splayed across your chest with this stupid eagle, the dumbest tattoos of all time. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, 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 I just, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And I think that that's, it completely works. And you're so right. It's like, I'm unashamed. I'm unafraid to show you all my markings that tell me that I don't like you almost instantaneously. It's like that kind of really fascinating thing. So we're going to go back to Miami Vice. Your role on Miami Vice um, more specifically was... So Miami Vice, I was one of... I I maintained the same role, but in between productions of Collateral and Miami Vice, I I directed a film and started directing commercials a little bit. So when I came back, you know, we kind of went... Miami Vice got greenlit. We kind of, quote unquote, got the band back together. And I was, um, you know, one of his assistants during the prep. I did not go to the Caribbean and, and to Miami with him. They took a very, they didn't take a lot of people from LA. They, for that level, they hired there. They ended up hiring a, a woman named Julia, who I think became his assistant for a while. So David Silverton and I stayed back and, and forward pass and kind of manned the office and made sure everything was cool. Um, but I worked all prep and all of post. So and during production, I was there, you know, getting, you know, just learn, you know, learning, you know, whatever, just there managing things. So hearing all the catastrophes and all the situations coming through. Um, but, you know, Colin and Jamie, I mean, Miami Vice is so complicated because it's so, it's so good. It's so great. And it's so bad and lame at times. And just this incredible artifact that any way you look at it kind of gives you something new and something interesting um just colin farrell is by far the most charismatic sexiest coolest (laughs) man i've ever seen in my life Um, even more than tom cruise yes yeah yeah i mean tom cruise is cool but the colin is just his he i think i said my like it didn't matter if you were on the call sheet or like a janitor at the training facility that he trained at. Like he made everybody feel awesome. Um, awesome. 
soak smoke cigarettes like a champ slug <laughs> beers like a champ um the hair he was just coming off of the new world just feeling and looking like <laughs> early 2000s colin farrell should he uh, was he was uh this close to a hemp necklace yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There are so many I'm guys with hemp necklaces decided to grow their hair because of Colin Farrell in right. the early 2000s. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, was... your host was one of them. Yeah, maybe, right? <laughs> um, uh, we talked to a, a guy who was Colin's assistant on the shoot, and he and yeah. I was re-listening to the episode, and he just keeps saying that Colin was like, where the cigarettes, where the cigarettes? Yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah, I mean, he smoked more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Um, There was, so Colin, okay, so Michael just back to his training and all the stuff that we talked about before, as it relates to Miami Vice, they did a lot of live ammunition ammunition gun training at uh, LA Sheriff's Department uh, gun training range, but they also did a lot of driving. We flew out, well, Michael and Colin took a helicopter out to a um, racetrack um, East LA somewhere, you know, in the desert, not quite Joshua Tree, but somewhere out there, I forget the name. We went out there for a couple of days and they would drive um, stock cars. Jamie and Colin would drive stock cars around this track. And, you know, again, it's one of those things like, there's not that much driving in the movie. I mean, there there is, but it, it's not like, it's not Fast and the Furious, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. There, there's no chases, really. I mean, they're kind of going from point A to point B. And But he, Michael, wanted them to have command over the car and just understand that confidence that comes with driving a car as fast as you can. But what I remember, and, and you know, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I'm happily married, heterosexual male, two, two kids. I have a very vivid memory of, of Colin wearing his, like, jumpsuit, like top unbuttoned, hanging down, bare chest, and it's like hanging at his waist, and him with his like arms up with like one, a beer in one hand, a cigarette <laughs> out of his mouth. It was like a poster. I was just like, <laughs> Where's God. that calendar? Where's the I calendar? know. <laughs> it was like, it was kind of one of those things, it was like, dude, you can't just stand around like this talking to us, you know? <laughs> you know, you're like, it's too, it's too distracting, man. Like, come on. Oh yeah. my God! It's like just like the the shine of the charisma is too distracting. Oh, yeah. The confidence. You can't, can't just stand still looking that hot. What are you doing? Yeah, you just yeah. What are you doing, man? We're trying to talk here. You know? <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> but yeah, he was the coolest. His, you know, his voice, just everything. He was just great, yeah. and he he was having fun. Now, Jamie, I did I didn't love working with Jamie. He was fine. He was totally fine. But I just didn't I didn't have the 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 connection or the interactions with um, Jamie as I did with the others. Justin, had you had an experience working a little bit more closer with Jamie on collateral and then seeing the transition of him coming through? Because I think that that's something that one of the rare people in the world that being you are seeing him between these kind of two pillars of his career, which is this like cresting a wave of both collateral and Ray that is like pushing him into this stratospheric era. So you're seeing him while he's still grinding through you know, um, uh, you're, you're an admirer of Ali. I'm so glad to hear that it's your favorite because I truly love it so deeply too. Um, all three available cuts. Um, and and uh, you roll into Miami Vice and you're getting to see him 
like after, like the after effects of everything that's happening. So I, I mean, yeah, there was definitely a little of that, but that being said, Michael is such a force and such a, he runs such a, a strict Jamie was definitely feeling himself a little bit and kind of a little more with his demands. Like he wasn't going to fly period. Yeah. It's like, well, we have these scenes with planes in it. Like you got to, he's like, I'm not flying. So they did that with green screen, you know, things like yeah. that that were a little more demanding. I don't know if Jamie would have full throated, like demanded um, years earlier. I didn't know him that well to know that, but Michael is such a force that like Jamie knew not to kind of puff up around Michael. And I was rarely there without Michael. So I kind of had that, that exposure, but you know, Jamie kind of just, we just didn't connect. I mean, there was no animosity. It was nothing. We just didn't yeah. have those moments. But um, uh, what was I going to say? There was, um, he had a lot of people around. He kind of had, he had more of an entourage. Like he had his, um, there was a guy, Johnny, that was always with him. And, and, you know, he had a little bit of an entourage around, but they, they were cool. And his, you know, he had a lot of women hanging around set. Um, there was a, a time when we were shooting collateral. We were shooting uh, the fever sequence which we built on a stage in Culver City. We shot over the course of like two weeks because actually Tom, I believe, like caught the pneumonia or the flu over the course of shooting inside a fever. So we actually had to shut down production for a few days. But for the insurance policy, we had to still go to set. So it was pretty weird. There was like two or three days where the entire crew would have to go to set, but there was no work to do. So we just like hung around playing cards and like smoking (laughs) cigarettes all day. And we had to like put our... Put our time in and leave it was very strange but there was a time when we were shooting inside a fever it was one of the big days with all the, the the extras you know hundreds of extras everybody was there and jamie had a guest and i don't know who it was i don't you know i don't know if she, you know maybe at the time she would have been today she would have been like a instagram model but a woman showed up with him that was just overwhelmingly beautiful that the crew <laughs> was getting distracted and michael had to, had to ask jamie to have her wait for him in his trailer that is like 100 percent true story amy fox brought a woman to set that was so hot was interfering with the production <laughs> that's incredible yeah incredible he deserved to be feeling himself god bless him yeah listen absolutely and listen if i was jamie fox i wouldn't have many connections with me either (laughs) you know (laughs) i get it oh my god and the amazing thing is like he's so great as this like humble sort of bumbling character in that movie it's like seems so different from who he is day to day like Max is not bringing an Instagram model around. No. no. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that so much. The thing about Miami Vice that I kind of saw firsthand and I see it in the film and one scene specifically, I see it and God, I love that movie. But this one scene I think is horrible. It's the scene after the basement scene with Jose Yero. They go back to their apartment in Haiti and they both go in with their guns drawn and they get the call and they're like, they're, you know, that, that was quick, I think is the line, but they yeah. both go in with, and to me, the, the, the central issue with that movie is that Jamie was trying to out cool Colin. And it was okay. like, a, it was like a cool guy off. <laughs> and I think for Colin, it just dripped off him so naturally. 
And I think Jamie tried to flex a little bit on that. That's my personal he feeling. Need, he wouldn't. It's funny that you can see that. I mean, you've got an insight of someone who's met these guys, but I would always think like Jamie Fox is really cool. Like he's real. Yeah. He doesn't need to try. But without humor, I think he does. Right. Yeah. I think humor oh, is yeah, a big right. part of that. Yeah, but without because that you know without humor, it's a little. Uh, it's a little different. So that's what I see the central flaw, the, the central beloved flaw of that movie <laughs> are these two actors kind of having a one-sided competition of who could outcool the other. said New York through South Florida. When this load does not go to the Miami group, let me take load number two. And here's Colin Farrell making calendars on set. I think Michael's like, Colin, you're going to have to leave the set right now because you're distracting the crew from doing <laughs> their work. You're distracting yeah. my assistant. That, that, yeah. only, that only happened twice. It was the hot Instagram model on Collateral and it was Colin Farrell just standing. Yeah, just standing. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah. They weren't even shooting. They They're were just shooting. practicing driving. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. So so I had, a, I had an angry... I had an angry misspelled email um, uh, about oh. this show, uh, which was like, you've got all these people who worked on and we want to know the scenes that were shot and excised and we want to know all the lost things that didn't happen in this movie. And I feel like after speaking to people like Elliot Koretz and speaking to Jaffet and speaking to so many people who are so familiar with everything that's in this movie, mm -hmm. You're in pre-production on Miami Vice. Can you give us any insights about any evolutionary things that potentially would now be causing internet rabbit holes of like, there was an idea to do X, but that changed Justin. Cause I feel like, um, uh, uh, while I'm not going to mention the person cause I they didn't appreciate the tone of the email, I actually just want to address just in case some of our listeners who do enjoy the show have heard of things or have gone down rabbit holes. And I'm just like wondering because the more that I'm learning about it, and just the same as any movie, a script is one movie, you, the movie you think you're going to make, yeah. uh, you know, the movie again, when you're actually shooting it is the movie that you, you, you think you're making. And then when you're editing, you actually find what the movie is that you thought you were making and the story you wanted to tell. So I'd love if there's anything that, from your insights in the pre and then the post of like, were there huge sequences? Was there some alternate ending? Was there something that we could, we at least say that in the evolution of it, there was just to sort of clear the air finally about this thing? Well, my advice there definitely was a, a different ending originally that had to be scraped because of the incident that happened on set with the shooting and, and not going back um, 
to the DR. So they had to move the ending to Miami. So that was definitely a thing. I'm trying to think if there's any other, you know, the opening, obviously the, 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 the debate between the theatrical and the director's cut. Mm. I'll tell you when I, I love the director's cut because opening, because I, there's something to me so interesting and kind of the subtext of the movie is that initial emergence from water yes. where it's just so black it's so black you're in the black of water and then you come up to the surface and you this crystal white beautiful hd and then these boats go right by you there's something visceral about that that i personally love however and blake i've heard you talk about this before the thrill of hearing numb encore <laughs> with this what this is actually a cool phrase i don't know if people know but when a movie just starts, when there's like no credits or nothing, the movie just starts, which is how Michael started both Collateral and Miami Vice outside of the DreamWorks logo and the Universal logo. There's no opening credits. It just starts. Michael used the term torn edge, which yeah. I love. I never heard that yeah. before, but like a torn edge opening. That torn edge with Numb Encore is fucking dope it is audacious it's audacious as hell like yeah. I, it's the i'm like the audacity to do this and it just it delights me every time
So I remember seeing that at the cast and crew screening and that blew my mind because I knew the opening that we originally had. Yes. Um, so to see, to finally see the opening in the director's cut was cool. And again, that first shot I think is, is, is kind of genius. In a way, I'd love to see that first shot to happen on its own, but keep the numb encore opening. Just but, put the numb encore on top of the boat race. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, we got it. No. There's um, something just so rad about that. Uh, in Collateral, that script was tight. Like, that's a tight script. Yeah, it was a know? great... It, it, it's yeah. famously a very extremely yeah. attractive, lean, mean fight machine of a script that's just like, you know, uh, obviously... Yeah. Um, we, we've, we've talked pretty significantly about it with so many different guests about, because so many people are influenced by these films and love them. But, yeah. um, yeah, my, Miami Vice was something that was evolution. And I think that, yeah, just to clear up, there was a Dominican Republic, you know, uh, uh, Sierra del Este showdown between these yeah, two Yeah, big showdown. It, yeah. And, and, yeah. and essentially all it did was location change. Location change. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and I, there was, as you can imagine, so much hysteria around that situation that yeah, there was, you know, the studio was, but there was a lot of people involved. So they did a very good job of kind of shielding that chaos from even us in LA. We kind of knew what was going on. Obviously, we knew everyone was okay, but it was it, there was a lot going on that we didn't really know. Um, but um, just going back to Collateral, one thing that I always found interesting is even though the script is so well written and it's the script itself is completely structured in a three act structure. You know, you have your first act, the first act ends with the body falling on the car. Yeah. And then the second act ends with the car flipping. So these really classic Hollywood motifs of like, of chaptering the acts, even though the script is a three act structure, what Michael always said was that collateral, the story is just the third act of this bigger story. Yes because all the stuff that happened before with Annie and the indictments, we don't know anything about, you know, where Vincent came from, like all that happened, but the movie itself is just the third act of this story. And I always thought that was really cool, just from like a film nerd perspective of like, just the, 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 the form, the, the, the form of screenwriting and filmmaking. I thought that was really interesting where it's like, oh, the script could be three act, but the story is the third act yeah there's there's a there's a there's a talking about getting a thrill like seeing jason statham and tom cruise together is like <gasps> it's yeah. just so cool it's like <laughs> oh my god i want can we get a movie that these guys what where's he going what's this it's so awesome in collateral so it's just wonderful we shot that blake without locking down lax what we shot that <laughs> Like a gorilla stories. student film would shoot it. We went in, you know, we're shooting digital cameras, obviously, with a, a Viper cam, small camera. Um, we went in with maybe a eight-person crew. We brought one black floppy, you know, which is kind of a a, a, a grip, a grip uh, piece of equipment that's just basically like a, a three-foot black uh, piece of canvas. And we hid the camera behind the canvas and we had Tom just walk back and forth a few times in the international terminal at LAX. And we had Jason walk a few times, bumped in together. The truth is a lot of the extras in the movie around J 
Jason and Tom were crew members. Oh. Like our key grip, you could see our key grip in the shot of Jason Statham. I believe the shot of Tom, they just used the extreme close-up, like the real, a long lens close-up. But the shot of Jason, our key grip was right next to him. Um, I was walking throughout there. I mean, you don't see me, but like there was probably five or six of us that were just walking around them, kind of being the extras to stay close to them. Yeah, I was going to say, how many rubberneckers are you getting in the middle of... You'd the be, airport. I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, again, didn't look like Tom Cruise. And, and yeah, Statham, I guess Statham didn't have the awareness that he has now. I mean, I knew him from lock stock. And I was, I thought that was a cool, I mean, he was like the guy I was so excited to <laughs> see, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was awesome. And he was so cool. He, he just, he kind of thought it was a, a hoot to be there <laughs> for that one day. You know, he was just having so much fun, you know? Of course. I no. think we should like start the theory that, or maybe someone already has that collateral is in the transported universe. <laughs> yeah, I think that's out there. I, love I think it. that's out I there. Love Pe- it. People, uh, pe- I think that I think I've. Read I can't that be one. the one who originated this. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other like crazy stories from shooting collateral in LA in the middle of the night <laughs> with this yeah. amazing cast? Like every time I watch it, I'm like, and that person, and that person, and that yeah. person, like. It's just stacked top to bottom. Yeah, so I'll give you, okay, I'll give you, I'll, I'll be, I'll try to be concise. I'll give you th- three good ones. One was, um, and this Buffalo. is, and let's everyone know this is the third act of Justin's two acts of stories he can't share. Yeah, um, but, yeah. but, 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 but they all happened. Maybe we yeah, heard them. This but, is, yeah, these are, these are maybe some deep cuts. So Mark Ruffalo is just coming off of, you can count on me and XXXY and in the cut, which was kind of an underrated gem of that, that time period, Jane Campion film, mm-hmm. um, you know, an actor's actor coming in with these, but, but not a superstar coming in as the cop hero cop against Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Big deal for him. His first night on set, we were shooting in a morgue, a real morgue with oh, real God. bodies. Oh God. And his first day on set was this, the, um, not when he actually sees the dead body in the morgue, because that was actually not a morgue, but it's when he's in kind of the, the lab where they do the autopsies. And it's a, uh, I believe it's a lateral dolly and he's on the phone and he's talking to Peter Berg. Mark Ruffalo did about 87 takes oh of that. God. Oh my God. And 87. <laughs> yeah. And I was in the van with him driving back to base camp and he was tearing up. Oh my God. And really um, confused and, and not upset, not upset, just beaten. Yeah. Confused as to what, why is he there? Why did Michael pick oh. him? Like, if I can't satisfy him, what am I doing here? And I remember literally putting my arm around him and reassuring him, being like, dude, Michael loves you. That's why you're here. Like, I know how he talks about you in, your, in the office. Like, you're a great actor. He's that's just his method. It's your first day with him. He's kind of maybe he's doing it to kind of set a tone. You know, I, I don't know, but you're right. great and just stay with it and just you're amazing. And he was really, really upset and really oh. confused. I can it. imagine yeah. 87 takes like your words don't even make sense at that point. Like, well, keep in mind, you're it's a scene with one person. You're on the phone. It's not even right. like it's, it's it's like it can't be the other person's fault. 
Right. Like it's just, and there's just, you know, the mortician, like in the background, I'm always confused why he asks to use his phone when he has a cell phone. Was it like a basement morgue or something? Anyway, I might have been, right. might have been, might have been signal. I think you think, yeah, think you nailed it. Be, yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, speaking for one of our other shows, Zodiac Chronicled, the first, yeah. the first day that Ruffalo and Gyllenhaal were on set, which is set on the steps of the San Francisco Town Hall, like the the, the judicial buildings, uh, that district, that was seventy plus takes. <laughs> And Ruffalo's like, that's nothing. I'm good. I'm rock solid. All I'm going to say is working with Michael Mann might have helped (laughs) Dave Tosky, made Dave Tosky the unfathomable anchor of that movie and him the anchor of those actors because Downey was the one struggling with Finch's excessive takes. You know, uh, Gyllenhaal uh, was struggling. Gyllenhaal was struggling. Again, a little bit less experience. And he's like, oh. 87 baby talking to myself on the phone with Michael Mann in a morgue. I got this. I mean, that's the thing in a way that digital has kind of allowed for is the, the number of takes, you know, I, mean, right. I don't know if you're shooting film, even at that level, they're doing that many takes. Um, but that was, you know, that was definitely and Fincher on open. set. Fincher on set. Justin says, delete the first 20. Yeah. Like he says that there's been interviews we've done for the show where he's like, delete the first 20. And some of the actors in the scene are like, Oh God, I want to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Wow. One of my favorite stories is Sidney Pollack working with Kubrick on eyes wide shut. You know, he heard all about Kubrick and a lot of takes and the first scene, the, his first scene he did with Tom, they did like three or four takes and moved on. And Sidney said to Tom, like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. What is everybody talking about? And the next setup was like, 40 takes. <laughs> I can imagine being a director, being directed by Kubrick and just being like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. We had it like oh. eight takes ago, man. Right, right. Print it. Come on. Let's Print it. Let's keep, keep moving. Let's keep moving. Um, All right, yeah, so, so the- a, couple, a couple last things. Ruffalo did the exhaustive gun training like, like uh, Tom and Jamie did, but Mark doesn't shoot the gun in the film. <laughs> Again, like, like, but I know how to if I had yeah, to. Yeah, no, he just wanted, like, Michael just wanted him to have the feeling. And, and again, Michael, it's funny, I was just talking to a friend of mine that given the tragedy that happened with Alec Baldwin recently, I'm wondering mm-hmm. how even training will happen because Michael famously trains with live ammunition. Wow. Because he thinks that if an actor is using blanks, that he's not going to allow, like, he can't truly access that primal place of firing a real gun. Um, so that's just kind of a, a side note that I found interesting but, kind of, but also I think Justin, what, what you've reinforced for us and you know, we've, it's kind of in all of the special features and things like that. And it's, you're at a gun range with the trained professionals who use the guns every day. You're not training on yeah. a set. You're not training in some totally. set of yeah. isolation. You're with law enforcement who yes. have all of the systems and mechanisms in place that if you're going to shoot these things, you've got safety. And if there's an accident, you've got ambulances and emergency yeah. services and you've got the police department to take you to, if there's some problem, it's like, yeah. it's different from using live ammunition in some old timey six shooter BS gun on a set in the middle oh, of the yeah. desert away from a hospital, as opposed to in a police gun range, totally endorsed by police with trained medical assistants, with trained firearm coordinators. It's like use real ammunition all you want. If, yeah. If the safety yeah, mechanisms, the safety are, in mechanisms are, in place, yeah. are in place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, no, over, I mean, I, I will wrap it up overall. It was just a, a, the best experience. And, and again, the camaraderie and the friendship that I, that I took from that and the knowledge that I took from that. And, you know, every one of my films that I've made, you could see a, a touch of, of, of Michael's influence. And, and he's somebody that, you know, every once in a while I'll reach out to and, and give him an update and check in with him. And, and just the fact that he's doing Tokyo Vice right now is like the most exciting thing in the world. And he's just the best. And in a way, like he's so underrated and, and really, you know, I think if you stop people on the street and ask them like, who are the best American directors the last 20 years? Like, I don't know if people mention him and I just think he's right up there. And, and, and just to kind of bring this full circle, the reason why I, you know, I only made one cold call to an office back in, 2002 and it was to his office because I, I was just like I love this guy like I didn't I didn't know him like I just his movies make me feel something like other people's movies don't and god I want to I want to touch it you know I want to absorb it and uh just unbelievably I mean, you, you made the right call like you you <laughs> could have called McG's office like <laughs> yes yes <laughs> not I that he, but clearly you had good taste and you yeah. like you said like your movies his movies made him made you feel things, but like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna take the risk of like driving and working for free and um, putting in that that time and effort and like, I, you know, I've been in that position too. Like, you want to do it for someone like that that's gonna give you the training and and the just the experiences, and then to be able to look back on it, you know, twenty years later and and, and yeah, reflect and just, on and it then, is is amazing. Totally. And then just from a production standpoint, like just the way he runs his set, like right. I'm, you know, I'm a commercial director now kind of day to day. And and by no means do, do I hold the same intensity as Michael held on set, but the mechanism of my sets run very similar to the way that Michael ran his his sets, which is just a high level of, of proficiency and seriousness, but mm -hmm. we'll have fun and we're going to make something cool. But like, we're here, we're here on a mission. You know, there's a little bit of a, of a mission quality to it that that I appreciated because that that's what I saw um, deliver incredible results. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow! Oh man, this has been such a treat to talk to you, Justin. Your story is just the cool like it is. It's just the coolest thing in the whole world, and also I love. Can we just credit her? Who was the sweetheart who opened the door and her face went white? I've just lost her name. What her was name her was name? Catherine Matlock. Catherine and... Matlock, bless her heart because yeah. bless up. <laughs> I, I just I I thinking of her face going white like oh he's this like how many phone calls must she get or must she have gotten at that time you know it just felt like a it's an era of emerging filmmakers and they're like oh I'll come and work for free okay I'll see you next week there might have been a hundred calls Justin yeah you know, and then it was... you showed up. Right. It was 20 insane. years ago. It was 20 years. It feels like, I feel like my story feels like it happened 40 years ago. 50 right. years. Like, <laughs> I like, I, when I gave my notice to my restaurant, like my boss gave me $300 cash as like a gift. Like I landed in LA with like 800 bucks in my wallet, like in my account. Like I didn't, and like to think of that today. And I'm sure, you know, that's one of those things like as I'm getting old, like I'm sure there are still 20 year olds 
still going to the Lower East Side and doing it, still going out to LA and doing it, you know? Yeah, like, but you know what? They have Google Maps on their phones. Yeah, and you true. had so, a yeah. dang, whatever those books yeah. are that you hold in your car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are those things called? Oh, what were those books? It was like the the giant maps of like- Right, like an atlas, but it's called like a- Something with a B? I don't know. God, I sound like a, I can't uh, believe that all three of us are lost, <laughs> and I genuinely am. I'm like, oh my god, what is it called? Uh, street direct <laughs> in Australia, they're called street directories. No, well, there was a specific thing. It was like LA. Baron's maps or something. Yeah. I don't know, like driving map, <laughs> googling it. <laughs> one other shout out there was um, the UPM on Collateral was this woman named Marie Canton who. Um, awesome, awesome, awesome woman, super smart, super talented, had an amazing career in Hollywood. And she gave me the best piece of advice. And that's what's led to me being able to share some really cool things with you. She said, every single time somebody asks you, no matter what it is to make a photocopy, make two and keep one for yourself. Dang. And that's why, you know, this is, oh. these are, I, so I have two, two notebooks, you know, one of one, one of two. This is Ali, the insider in Comanche, which is another project he was developing with um, Tom Hanks. It was a Western. And then this is just heat and collateral. And it's like wow. a really treasured, uh, treasured artifacts that I like, it's next to my kid's first tooth and baby shoes, <laughs> you know, if there's a fire. I have a one area that I'm going to grab the things the, and these, for the these love artifacts of God, are there. Get to a large photocopier with a scanner, <laughs> double side scan it and send me that PDF and I'll put it in a temperature controlled safe. That is the most valuable piece of information we've ever, ever, ever conceived of. Oh my God. Um, Justin. By the way, it's called a Thomas guide. A yeah. Thomas, Thomas guide. Yeah. That's what yeah. it's called. A Thomas, Thomas guide. guide. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, look, Blake, take I mean, it away. <laughs> I mean, truly, absolutely outstanding. And thank you so much for all of the kind words that you said about the lovely Katie and myself in your great email. Thank you so much. Um, it feels, we feel like, uh, gener like we're so, we're so, uh, beneficiaries of lovely people such as yourselves who are willing to come out and talk about Michael Mann with us and share these great stories. And, and the craziness is always, um, the craziness and the chaos is always met with this like deep admiration. And I think that that's what we, we set out to do with this show is like, we deeply admire like the, the his work. We deeply admire the chaotic, chaotic feelings of this movie. And, and we almost love things in spite of their flaws. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you so much for being so generous with us to share these stories. Thank you so much for reaching out and all the lovely kind words you said, because truly to have someone who is like an insider, like you are, you were in the forward pass offices and to, uh, for your endorsement about what we're doing, um, it's really special. So I just wanted to, I don't want to, I don't want to devalue that. Your stories are amazing. Um, I'll never forget the image you painted of Colin Farrell in uh, in a jumpsuit, uh, <laughs> uh, smoking a cigarette. I'll certainly, I know Katie. We're going to be, you know, like sketching, you know, <laughs> yeah. fantasy drawings or commissioning them. Well, just, um, like Tom, just like Tom Cruise <laughs> in Mission Impossible, you know, he's like, have you seen this person? You know, like I'm going to start sketching <laughs> Colin Farrell on my hand and holding it up to people on Zoom chat. But like, 
um bless you justin this has been so yeah, thank great you. yes you. thank you so much such no, great guys, info yeah, it's, it's meaningful you know the films that you investigate and filmmaking you know there's a, there is a common thread and in, in they're meaningful films they're important films but they're you know there's some there's a real joy in kind of celebrating pieces of work that you know the people behind them took them very seriously and and really meant to do something and and I'm not on social media like I but this is kind of like my like bait like this is my chum that I you know your <laughs> podcast is like kind of the, the 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 one kind of real film uh internet thing that I really engage with so it's it's a it's a thrill for me to to participate and, and just I'm I'm along for the ride so keep it going and um yeah I love what you guys do and, and really appreciate this opportunity well, look, thank you this, so much. Thank you. And this, you know, this is the first time that I, I can say this with Katie in recording. It's like one heat minute. We'll be back in August. Yes. We'll be back <laughs> yes. in August. 100%. Talking. How cool is that? It's pretty cool, How Justin. Cool and what I, I'm going to take, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to play a little uh, coy. I know a lot of details of at least the original structure and happenings in the Reed Farrell Coleman drafts of Heat 2, who mm. was the original co-writer with him. Yes. I know a lot. I have never yeah. said what any of that is because I don't want to spoil <laughs> it for anyone. No. Because that's not what I'm about. However, what I can share is that Meg Gardner, who's the Edgar Award-winning crime writer, uh, who has co-written Heat 2 with Michael Mann, sent me this message. I love One Heat Minute. Email me. So we know, yes. we know that Meg is on board. Things are happening. The crew will be back together to talk about it. It's super exciting. Um, yeah, I, but I, all, all I wanted to do in the nicest possible way to everyone is like, Travis Woods made me promise in the 165th minute episode of One Heat Minute that if the book ever came out, that I had to bring the show back. And I made that commitment all of two years ago. <laughs> and the moment that it was announced, I was like, I haven't forgotten. I remember what promise I made. <laughs> and I told you I, ne I was never going back, but I lied. Are so, you page, page by page, <laughs> every page? Not every page because I'm not insane. The book will be 500 pages. That's 500 episodes. That's maybe 500 hours. No, it's not going to happen, guys. It's not. No. Do you know how hard it is to edit a good podcast? It takes many hours and I have and two you... young children. Uh, and you edit them good. Thank you. And look, and uh, so, no, it's just going to be chapter by chapter. It will be a very extensive and loving series, much in the style that we've done with things like Zodiac Chronicle, what people are going to hear in our podcast or in Commander series coming up or Josie and the Podcats. And and, and, and so you're going to hear a pretty extensive and long-running series. Hopefully people will enjoy it at that time. But Miami Nice is still going to be that horny campfire. It's, it's the, the one heat minutes, way hornier little brother um, moves just over here. Um, so I, 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 we're, we're going to be here. Um, and it, it, as long as people like you, Justin, um, keep sharing with us and, and keep wanting to be a part of the show, we'll keep making it absolutely well thank you this is a blast and, and good luck with everything look forward to listening thanks you're the best justin take care 
Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.